in a world full of straight people. Aren't you glad there's WOW Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? And so much more. Subscribe to WOW Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV. Ready for fun in the sun. I'm always, always ready for fun in the sun. Oh, boy. Listen, we are going to be a part of Miami Beach Pride this year, Matt McConkie. In what capacity? Right. We don't know. We don't know. Don't know. Don't care. We'll be there. That's all we need to all know. All we need to know is that we're going to be there. It's going to be an incredible event there has never been a more important time for you to show up and show out in the state of Florida. Uh, it is. It's going to be. It's. It's going to be a joyful event if it fucking kills us. It just is. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, we are going to be there the weekend of April 14, 15, 16th. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be parties at the beach. There's one hosted by Sandra Bernhard that we'll be what? at. Um, Jonathan Bennett from Mean Girls is uh, one of the Grand Marshals. I believe that Dave Holmes is going to be on a Pride float I, on Sunday. There is, I heard. Yes. So one one of the one of the sort of themes uh, of uh, of this Miami Beach Pride is legacy couples. Uh, I, this is the fifteenth mm-hmm. annual Miami Beach Pride, and so they are honoring couples who have been together for fifteen or more years. There are going to be a bunch of us. And I, I don't know if we're just all going to be walking together or if it's going to be a proper float or what the deal is. I don't know. But I know that we're going to be there. Come wave at us. Uh, I, just, just, just be there. Be there for the parade. Be there for the beach parties. Um, it's it's going to be wild as hell. MiamiBeachPride.com It's going to be so much fun. I'm, uh, I went last year uh, with a bunch of my girlfriends. Uh-huh. They're all coming out again, um, you know, for no reason other than that they wanted an excuse to go to Miami, Great. and we have given them Great. one. Um, and we will all be turning up, turning out. There's already, you know, a lot of images going back and forth over the text thread about the looks oh, that are uh, being turned out. Oh, I... Uh, I, just uh, in like half an hour. Sorry. Oh boy, this Dave. I'm in a hotel, and I, they just came in for turndown because it's 6:30 p.m. Mm. here, and um, it's really tough to just say no, no, go away. Mm. You know. Wow. But that's what I had. But to they do. will come back. You did um, say give me 30 more. By the way, uh, for turndown. Unrelated. The w- nicer weather in Toronto than you're having. Yeah, in LA. it's uh, it's um, a nightmare here. It's very rainy and gross, um, and uh, and our dog hates it. But you know what? We need it. Um, you know where it's not going to be rainy? Miami Beach. Miami Beach Pride. That's right. Uh, April 14th, 15th, 16th. There are events happening now. There are Pride movie nights happening now. MiamiBeachPride.com has all of the information and all of the ticketing uh, info. 
uh, grab yourself a, uh, a VIP pass, and we'll see you there. David, somehow fitting that your camera's not working on today's Zoom, because, yes, I, yes. I, I mean, the pressure's on, you know? Um, I, it's a big I've, day. It's a big episode. Yeah, I've never felt the pressure more profoundly than I do right now. Uh, we have a guest who is perfectly framed, who is perfectly groomed, perfectly dressed, gorgeous. He's, uh, yes. I, I, he's uh, I mean... Our boss. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, Daddy is home. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. he is. Uh, he is, of course, the co-founder of World of Wonder, which brought us uh, the Drag Race multiverse, and he's an Emmy winner, a director, a producer, and the author of a new book called Screen Age. Fenton Bailey, welcome back. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, Fenton. Thank you. I am so glad to be here and. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm I'm blushing. I I feel I should turn my camera off and just sort of no, hide in don't you dare. Don't you dare. Uh, I would like to talk about your wallpaper. Mm. I'm a wallpaper fiend, you know. Um I love it. And uh especially, you know, wallpaper had some kind of renaissance about 10 years ago, suddenly just all these incredible wallpapers. Because it used to be your granny's thing that was sort of musty yeah. and depressing. And then just big and bold and loud and maximal. And I've just, I, there's no walls left to cover with wallpaper. Actually, there is one. I'm going to do it later. Not today, but later. Okay. 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 It's a, Is it a Jonathan Adler thing? Is it? Is it indicative of a... Uh, his style viewpoint? I would say it's Adler-esque in that sense of uh, maximum joy and um, maximum visual impact, but it's actually not. It's um, from some like hand-painted place and it's a a sort of 30s type design. Um, Even though, yeah, it's just, but the colors are like, even on a gray day, the colors just make me feel all warm and cozy. Yeah, it's very welcoming. It is. It's very welcoming. Fenton, um, I, 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 on pins and needles uh, about your answer to the question that we always start off with, which is what are you watching, loving, binging, reading, seeing at the moment? What's giving you a wow? Um, what is giving me a wow? I just started this book, Unscripted, which is, uh, I'm not sure what the official t- title is. I'll find it. Um, but it's about the the story of Sumner Redstone and oh, Viacom yes. and CBS and Les Moons. The subtitle is The Epic Battle for a Media Empire. Um, the Epic Battle for a Media Empire and the... Oh, God, I can't read it. The, something, the Redstone Family Legacy. Yes. Yeah. And it's by James B. Stewart, who wrote uh, a book about Michael Milken years ago that was a, a bestseller. And I tell you, I'm only about 50 pages in, but it's like, it's jaw-dropping. It's the, like, I, 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 I I've not read it, but I've been hearing interviews with the 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 right. It's written by two two people, no, two or it's people. just just that's two, right. Yeah, yeah two and um, it, I mean, this family family uh, shit show really yes, is the the series the the season of succession that we need right now yes and also i mean, didn't uh redstone just get 
engaged again? I believe, I believe so. This I mean, week? It, yeah. What is it about billionaire moguls like Sumner Redstone and Rupert Murdoch? They just keep on getting married, you know? Yeah, they, they do. And I believe it was Rupert Murdoch who just got remarried. Rupert Murdoch, and, sorry, and yes. And he and he said, I know that this is my, my final marriage. It's like, y- yeah. Yeah, we all know, yeah. buddy. But let's we not yuck his yum. I mean, if that, he, he's yeah. still got it. I mean, I couldn't imagine turning that age and even thinking about that. But we, right. maybe it's we inspiring in a way. Something we will to aim see. For goals. Um, what is speaking of uh, Rupert Murdoch and and media intrigue? What are your thoughts in this moment about the the future of a Fox News, or is it a thing that occupies your mind at all? It does occupy my mind somewhat because I find it incredible that Fox News hosts were talking about the stolen election, supposedly stolen election, knowing that that was a lie. And so behind the scenes, bitching to each other about what a load of old shit it was. And then their boss throws them under the bus saying he (laughs) knew it was a lie. The whole thing is like, everybody's lying. And um, and then that's number one. And then number two is seems to be zero accountability, which is why I hope that they win that lawsuit, the um, election election machine people dominion. The, yeah, yeah dominion win that lawsuit and there's another one coming i believe and that yeah. that's smart matter and that they're like out of business because i i it actually kind of leaves me slightly i i just can't articulate it it's to me it's so jaw-droppingly outrageous i'm just like what <laughs> why aren't they all just rounded up and put in prison immediately yes or, yeah Yeah. it's stunning and it it is stunning it adds to the the camp element of of fox news i can't watch it ironically and have fun sort of like mocking the host but i'm sure some some people can but it does make me think a little bit about the way you talk in in your book about like the sort of appreciation for um forms of entertainment that we might not think of as high art, you know, your home shopping, your um, uh, commercials, you know. Yeah. But Fox News isn't giving it to you quite like that, huh? No, Fox News is not in that that space because, you know, the, the news has never really had a low opinion of itself and has always claimed to yeah. be, you know, really informing us. And I'm not one of these... Um, fake news uh well i i just find the whole that whole debate that whole that whole attempt just to flood the zone with shit is so reprehensible and has put us in this sort of post-truth mess i i just don't have a sense of humor about fox at all um or the murdochs i mean i think lachlan murdoch the heir apparent said recently and i will read it out because i was like uh, he said um but let me just find it you don't have do you uh here we go a news organization has an obligation to report news fulsomely wholesomely and without fear or favor that's what fox news has always done that's 
That is an outright bold-faced lie. And yeah. so, no, I don't have any, I, you know, and it just annoys me. Um, whereas infomercials and public access and um, these kind of least respected genres of this least respected medium, you know, have been mm. personally my inspiration. Yeah. There is no cap value to uh, Fox News at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. I take it back. I take it back. Yes. I, 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 I want to talk about Little Fenton. Um, you start the book talking about how you're playing uh, Titania in Midsummer Night's Dream uh, at your all-boy all boy school. Um, that's a look I think we'd all kill to see. Well, oh, there it go. is. Your wishes come oh, true. listeners. What? There she is. Oh, oh my wow. God. Stunning. Yeah. Lips me out. But there's an adult in the cast too behind you. Honey, no, that's me. This a... <laughs> wait, that's no. Titan. That's wait, you. Wait, 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 wait. No. Oh, I thought that you were in the yellow yeah. dress. That's me. That's with the crown you. On my head. Yes, I oh, won. Wow. Well, oh, you were a statuesque, gorgeous queen. Well, I'm. I'm on a pedestal. Um, oh, and, oh, as and, you should be. And I was a senior at boarding school, so and those were all little kids from the local. Um, you know, prep school. So I see. I so see. yes, I do appear taller. It's the magic of theater, darling. Oh, it's wow. gorgeous. Oh, I'm sorry for the listeners that this is not a, a visual medium. Um, I should have gotten a screenshot. What was Fenton obsessed with at that uh, period of his life? Uh, he, speaking back, he was obsessed with things he didn't understand. Well, I knew by that that was like 16, 17. So I knew I was gay then. Um, wasn't sure I was that happy about it, but um, I was obsessed with bright and shiny camp things, you know. Um, I think the first thing I ever saw that really, I was like, that made me sort of resonate like a gong was uh, the Batman TV series in the 60s. I was like six and it was like in color. And I, of course, I had no idea that it was camp. I had, you know, I just thought it was fucking fantastic. And um, sort of that began my journey to uh, be determined to move to New York. Yeah, a child can't really um, understand what camp is. You know, I think a child thinks only literally, but but a show like that can really unfold and your appreciation for it can mature over time. You're so right. I mean, I didn't understand it at six and I feel I'm only beginning to understand it at 60. So it takes a long time. Yeah. yeah. What a gift. What a gift that show was. Mm. Uh, we, we learn kind of the origin story of World of Wonder in, in your book and that, you know, the name was like this science magazine that your parents would give you to read as a kid, but that, it, you know, you talk about how it kind of also speaks to this bigger sense of optimism that you seem to have about our world and its future and media's role in it. Where do you think that comes from, you know, and are you still able to tap into that sense of optimism even in the, uh, you know, demonic times we're living in? Yeah, even, you know, with Fox News around, I'm still fundamentally optimistic. Uh, I'm optimistic that Fox News won't be around for very much longer. And when you put everything into the balance, 
uh, and look at it from a sort of global perspective, I'm I just feel that the world is better than it was, you know, that we're better off with electricity and televisions and streaming and, you know, electric cars and, you know, I think, we're, you know, we're better off. And even social media with all its sort of toxicity, I still think we're better off. And this, the, the screen age is like I sort of call it is, is something that has connected us in ways that I don't think previous generations would ever have been connected or would have ever, you know, I think we've all been exposed to people and met people albeit virtually, that we would never, ever have come into contact with. So in balance, I'd say, there's, while there's plenty wrong, I think overall the outlook is good and that we're better off than we were when we were living in caves. And, you know, that's what gets me every time is that the sort of this radical right conservative thing about how we've got to turn the clock back, you know, make America great again, is itself a... a a clarion call to go backwards you know why don't we just go forwards and and <laughs> that is the only way there it, there is no going backwards that's the other absurd insane thing people think that they can turn the clock back you know can't be done a a anyone who's ever tried to do that has failed caused some damage before failing but sure. has yeah. failed. no terrible tragedy and you know terrible tragedy and human suffering which is also needless because yeah. the whole attempt is doomed to fail and that it is terrible the cost of it yeah you wear so many hats so many wigs i should say um <laughs> in your in your life and in your professional life can you talk us through i'm sure there's not a, a typical day but like what's your morning routine what happened this morning from the moment you woke up just walk us through the, the the rituals and the steps. The moment I wake up, and people say all the time, you should not do this, right? The moment I wake up, I reach for my phone, and no. I just start, I, I know, right? I don't even get out of bed. I put on my glasses. I read texts and emails and look at Instagram, and I do that for a bit before I get out of bed. And then um have two kids, so uh Nolan and Elliot. Um, 16 and 8 so I get I have to get Elliot up because he likes to sleep in a bit so I have to get him up and make breakfast and then drive him to school like so that's how the day starts that's how the day yeah I asked because I I was sure I given you know your sense of optimism your your sunny demeanor you're, you're a you're just a pleasant person to be around and I was sure that you would be, you would say the opposite. You would say, what I don't do is reach for the phone. I, you know, I meditate. There's, there's like a whole mm. spiritual practice that mm. happens, but it turns out. No. And I, I did, there was a time when I was going to the gym at like 6am, but I'm not doing that either at the moment. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, what then are the follows that get your day kicked off in the right way? Uh, like who who do you follow on Twitter and Instagram who you feel doesn't wreck your day just as it's trying to get an opportunity to start? Yeah, you know, it's true that I have to say no matter what it is, like I'm trying to think like when I've done that and been really upset by something, um, 
that's just ruined the day. But um, hmm, no, I mean, I you know, and I even like I look at the Drudge Report. I look at I do look at the Daily Mail, and it just doesn't. I, I suppose at this point, I'm just so entrenched in an, another point of view that their perspectives don't really. The Daily Mail's perspective doesn't. Really, I mean, you just know that you're going to look at the Daily Mail, and it's going to be like moaning about woke people. Mm, yeah, <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, but it adds a bit of fuel. You know, gives me puts a bit of oomph in my tank or something. Gas in my tank. Like, sure. got a reason to get up today. There you go. go. That's yeah. a good way to look at it. It's um, yeah, yeah it's go. motivating you to um, be the anti-Daily Mail. Yeah. We touched on this. When we interviewed you and Randy Barbetto, your uh, partner in, in World of Wonder, uh, years ago, but refresh our listeners' memories about you two, how you first met, what was the spark that you know you knew that you two specifically were were so destined to work together. You know, Randy and I met at film school. I think the first day of film school, and. Um, I, I don't know that there was a spark because I think we both thought we looked kind of crazy. Um, and uh, uh, it took a moment for us to, to hit it off, I guess. Or no, we were, you know, it just took a moment to click, but we did click. And um, yeah, I mean, we worked on each other's films in film school, you know, and then we did a sort of, uh, if I told this before, but we did a, video for uh, one of the assignments was to make a music video and we each made our own and but then we did this extra one of boys keep swinging which was uh you know bowie's track and it was sort of like a kind of a way of coming out we just stuck it in with all the other ones in class that day so it just came up and they put this on and they were like who did this you know um so it was like yeah it was a fun thing to do yeah, you and you you um, obviously shared a certain sensibility even then, and 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 you still do. And you know, when you landed in the East Village in the I guess early '80s, mm. there was like that '80s Wall Street sort of wealth mindset thing happening. But then there's also like the downtown grittier Warhol, you know, punk sensibility, and it it feels like you and Randy have always been able to kind of navigate both of those worlds, like art and commerce, or I guess culture and counterculture, but it, in a way that like, it doesn't feel like they are uh, in conflict. It's, it's more like mm. they go hand in hand. Yeah, no, that's very true. And I think we, I think that's partly because of the times we were sort of arriving in because, you know, I'm not a, a, a fan of, Reagan or Thatcher, but the zeitgeist was, you know, Pet Shop Boys, let's make lots of money, you know, and I think it was just that interesting moment where you'd had the punk scene, you know, the Patti Smith and, and all that kind of punk stuff, CBGBs, that was the sort of big rebel yell. But come the 80s, I think there was this sort of affluenza and this sort of aspiration. And Randy and I certainly didn't have any money, but there was a, it was in the air that like, you know, ABC had that song, Billionaire, um, 
Madonna had material girl you know it was the flavor of it the flavor of the culture was to turn whatever it was you did into something that could make you money um not in a sort of crass corporate way but in a in a way of like being able to 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 do your thing and make a living off of it um and it was it was a really uh was a moment in time um but it was interesting the way it was sort of in the air and i i do feel that that's the way that trump if trump had come along at any other time he wouldn't have caught people's imagination you know um because he really was when trump tower opened a kind of popular hero you know a sort of he was a sort of poster child of of the times incredible as it may be to say yeah. that now yeah the celebrities you know in your orbit that have, you know you've crossed paths with over the years that get name checked in the book is pretty pretty staggering list uh obviously you, you you know made the documentary with tammy faye baker and a documentary with britney spears before the free britney movement was in full swing and there's like uh, Robert Maplethorpe, Monica Lewinsky, Michael Jackson. Um, is there like one anecdote that people have been really struck by from the book or one that you think is kind of the most, you know, gag worthy? There's, um, I guess, when we were making the film about Britney, I think the the shocking revelation is that Britney's very, and she said this herself, you know, she's very ordinary and she's very normal. And there's a sense in which people won't let her just be that. And uh, we were filming this junket, uh, press junket up in her suite on Planet Hollywood. It was like a few days, a couple of weeks before the show opened, uh, the Vegas residency. And, um, I think it was her birthday or no 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 it was um was it her birthday it was the it was around the same time she got the key to the city maybe her birthday was coming up anyway mm -hmm. people were bringing her cupcakes and she was having to do one interview after another after another and it was interesting when you f see that when you uh, and we were filming the junket so we weren't sort of part of the junket we were sort of you know step back filming all these people coming in and coming out asking often the same questions and wanting something understandably wanting something how to say something to them that was unique or revelatory and suddenly began to understand like how how hard that must be <laughs> to mm -hmm. you're doing a hundred interviews and you got to give someone something that makes them feel they're getting something that no one else is getting and one at one point someone said to her, well what is the one question um what, what, something like um what is the one thing that people don't know about you <laughs> and she said you know i'm just an ordinary boring person <laughs> which wasn't a great answer but it was the truth and and when she said that all the lights went out the power shorted and it was this sort of exclamation point to this revelation it just blew the power of the of of 
of the whole thing. All the lights went out and we get, we just, wow. and she had to sit there. And I really, really felt for her. She just had to sit there for what felt like an eternity, you know, while the power was restored. And I, I just felt, oh my gosh, you know, just it hit me because I'm a, I'm a Britney fan and always have been, but I just felt in that moment what must be tremendously painful, you know? You're you're on stage and you love being on stage and you're great and you can do all that. But then off stage, people want this thing from you. And even if you say, look, I just don't have it. I'm, you know, ordinary, boring person. That doesn't get you out of it, you know? Yeah. Well, And there are a hundred banana peels to step on at all times. There are a million ways that you can say something wrong or or silly or something you know not not to keep bringing it back to this goblin but like you know tucker carlson asking her about the iraq war 20 years ago and then that being part of that michael moore documentary is like has a probably a bigger part in her sort of unraveling than we think about you know there was no reason for her to sound off on the iraq war except for her to say something you know that might make her look foolish or whatever. And I think by, but, but, but so it's almost a, another side of the same coin. What is that expression? You know, is um, the way, the way the media piled on her then and the way they piled on the free Britney thing mm-hmm. also felt very similar to that yeah. of like putting her in an impossible position and you know because when we made the film i yeah we're there to look between the lines and and um you know you pick up on if something's amiss i'd like to think that we pick up on it but there really wasn't a feeling of tension between her and her dad and didn't feel like there was inappropriate exploitation i mean a manager's there to you know there's a lot to do and and she was racing against the clock to get the show on um but i just didn't pick up on this i i got the impression that you know she was being protected yeah um and if you free someone from something that protects them are you really freeing them or or are you putting them in harm's way? Uh, speaking of, of management, you and Randy were RuPaul's first managers, of course, after producing her first album. And then uh, Ru asked you to uh, manage him. And you did, even though, you know, you didn't, weren't necessarily qualified to do so on paper. You also, it should be noted, did not put Ru into um, a, uh, the thing that Britney was in. Conservatorship. Conservatorship. <laughs> um, but I am curious if you, when you look at like the landscape today, is there a celebrity, if you, if you could take control of their career, be their manager, maybe it's getting them back on track, or maybe it's like helping them pivot or take it to the next level, who do you think it would be? Well, you know, I have to say, like, uh, it's really important to say this, that, you know, Rue, like, 
kind of manages himself, you know, like, I mean, we were managing Rue, but like, we, you know, it was, I mean, and it has always been really a, just a fantastic collaboration. Um, but there's no question, you know, Rue is in charge of Rue and knows exactly what Rue wants to do. And sure. that was what's so great about when we met Rue. It's like, yeah, we, we thought he was a star, but more importantly, Rue knew he was a star. So, you know, it was just, that was a lovely, a lovely thing. And it's, it's been a lovely thing for like, you know, 30 years. Um, yeah. Yeah, does anyone have that spark now? Oh, you know, tons of people have that spark. I think we, um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> well, I, you know, kind of like to manage Elon Musk by just getting him to be quiet. I think that would be the, the single biggest possible achievement, you know. You'd be doing a great service. <laughs> Maybe so, yes. Yeah. Get him in a wig, put him in a recording studio and lock the door. Well, it's so funny, like, because he, he was, it did feel like he was, you know, there was such a sort of feeling of goodwill behind him and, uh, you know, and then it's just gone like pear-shaped, hasn't it? It really? sure That's has. <laughs> it sure has. Who were your formative pop stars? Oh, gosh, you know, David Bowie. Yeah. Um, all the kind of glam rock, T-Rex. Um, and then, you know, moving to New York, I think it was, you know, Africa Bambada and uh, Man Parish, like those sort of uh, Nina Hagen, all that kind of new waves uh, stuff. I mean, we lo I think that's what encouraged, because, you know, I have no real musical ability. Randy can sing and Randy can play instruments, fortunately. But that's what really I feel personally attracted me to, to doing pop music at first was the feeling that, it was like MTV was launching and it was, it wasn't just about the music. And I felt, oh, well, you know, a drum machine and a synth loop can take care of that. Um, and then a vocoder can sort out the vocals. I, I was like, music was so exciting because it was such a visual thing, you know, with, with music videos. And it was sort of the whole package. That was what was so beguiling about it. And that as a kid was, I think many Brits kind of grew up watching Top of the Pops once a week and all these subversive, in retrospect, all these subversive radical ideas, you know, in David Bowie's 1972 Starman appearance or, um, you know, Slade or Roxy Music or, I mean, like, just seminal kind of moments of sort of kind of like, throwing bombs into the into the nice white middle class you know stable thing of gender bending and i should say really gender fluidity um and glam and just all sorts of kind of fabulous stuff really right before we started talking i, I was i was doom scrolling on my phone but and then i i just uh landed on a post about the drag defense fund that you are uh, doing with the ACLU. Can you talk about that? Yeah, you know, because it, it, I think it's really great to 
pushback on social media, you know, about all these things that are happening. I mean, it's not just the law in Tennessee, there's others on the books. And, um, and also, by the way, the, you know, I think over the last year, something like 1,597 books have been banned, you know? Like, what is happening? Like, we're supposed to be living in the age of information. Like, wh wh why are people banning books in America of all places? You know, it makes sense. It's kind of crazy. And so I, I definitely love to push back on social media and, you know, pictures of right-wing families around the Christmas tree all bearing arms and contrast that with the cast of Drag Race and saying, you know, who's grooming who? It's not... It's not drag queens, you know, it's mm -hmm. all, all that stuff is great and feels great. But I think when it comes to like getting laws overturned or even making sure they don't get passed in the first place, you know, you need someone who really knows how to fight those legal battles and the ACLU do, and they've done it for, you know, a hundred years. So uh, MTV were really on board because Drag Race is now on MTV and made a big contribution to it as well. So I just think it feel in really good hands with the ACLU really working to stop this, uh, this attempt. Yeah, these things, these kind of so-called uh, panics, distraction panics. I mean, this is the latest in a string, right? Before that, it was bathrooms and who can use which bathroom even though there was no evidence of anyone ever being assaulted by a trans person in a bathroom there was this great fear that that's what would happen or um it was, or it was explicit lyrics in rap music you know and that kids were going to get hopelessly corrupted and depraved i mean these kind of moral panics have been going on forever um and they're just distractions but they do need to be you need to fight back against them because they are this attempt to turn the clock back and you know innocent people will and are suffering so yeah it's you know the the thing that they that these bills face now is a generation of people who have grown up watching rupaul's drag race having um having social media and and growing up feeling less alone than we all felt growing up uh which you know, which doesn't turn young straight kids gay, but does make young gay kids stronger um, because it reduces the amount of time that they spend, you know, feeling isolated and ashamed. Um, and that's like, th there's a generation that simply is just not going to take it after a certain point. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think it's not just about us and our community. I think it's about the country as a whole, you know, and something that in writing the book I came to sort of recognize was that drag is American popular culture is queer and it is drag. You know, you go to a city like Vegas, Vegas is a drag city. You know, you've got pyramids, you've got treasure islands. The whole thing is ordinary buildings transformed into set dress spectacles. It, it's a drag city. And the, the importance of that is that Vegas is a mainstream place. It's not LGBTQ plus, it's, it's middle America, Liberace, you know, 
was a drag queen and was the highest paid piano player in probably in American history, but also was a household name and beloved in, you know, by some of the most conservative people in the reddest states. So I think the misperception and what the radical right is trying to do is make us think that drag is not American and that drag isn't who we are, but it is. And this was gonna, I was gonna speak to the other big, for me, profound life-changing revelation um, was when we were making this film about the Statue of Liberty, which at first we did not want to do. But Sheila Evans at HBO, who's an amazing um, executive, came to us and said, will you make this film? And we're like, you know, what can you say about the Statue of Liberty that hasn't been done? And yet, um, in the course of researching it, you know, one of the great mysteries about the statue is who was the face that the sculptor used for the statue? Because, you know, you gotta face it, that face is quite stern, maybe slightly masculine looking. And so- A handsome woman, one might say. One might, but it turns out it could well have been his brother. And, and so, okay, so if the sculptor's brother is the face of the, uh, you know, suddenly you know what that means, right? Statue of Liberty is a drag queen. That's right. I rest my case. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> so the the num America's number one symbol, most beloved by the most nationalistic, patriotic, white supremacist person. It's a drag queen. It's a drag queen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that's kind of stunning about your book is really just getting a sense of the, the history and the, and, the, and the ways in which somebody compares you to like a like the like the queer Forrest Gump of pop culture I can't remember where that reference came from but like the world of wonder has had its hand in so many of these like um, you know just big pop culture moments and of course the, the one that is that feels most present now is drag and this evolution from you know, underground to to mainstream and, you know, the, the Emmys and uh, 15 seasons and, uh, you know, a, a multiplying multiverse and all of it. But do you think, you know, now that drag has exploded several times over the way it has, like what the next level of that evolution might look like? Well, um do you think that, you know, drag, when I, my like 12 year old self listening to Bowie on the radio or Lou Reed's, you know, Walk on the Wild Side or all those, those, all that incredible pop music. I think drag is that kind of today's pop music and that they're the sort of influences and idea shapers and I don't know what's next because I suppose in a way I, I still think there's a long way to go because Drag Race is it, yes it's, you know it's in 17 countries uh, and there's a lot of countries where we're still trying to persuade broadcasters to 
to, to take the show. Um, you know, Asia, China, um, shows in the Philippines and Thailand, but like uh, Singapore, Malaysia, you know, India, there's, there's, and, and it's exciting in the sense that we still, it's, it's challenging in the, and exciting because we still run into the, the, a similar grab bag of hurdles and prejudices, you know, oh, the audience here is very conservative. Oh, it's seen as anti-masculine. Oh, it's seen as um, not blasphemous, that's not the right word, but irreligious, you know, all different ways that gatekeepers are sort of saying this will not do that you cannot have this here and and i think the whole message of drag race is it's whoever you are however you want to be is good it's an inclusive kind of message and i think that's we need that um more um because it's 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 made a lot of headway and I guess there is a lot of visibility for drag that there hasn't been before, but I still think there's so much more to do and we got to get past this sort of pushback too, of this latest, this latest moral panic that they're trying to create. Fenton Bailey. Thank you so much for being here. The book is screen age. Uh, it's out on March 28th should be out uh, when this, releases and if you want to donate to the drag defense fund go to aclu.org slash drag defense fenton you're the best thank, thank you, you so much. much matt and dave thank you so much and thank you for homophilia we love it thank and you. you guys are so brilliant thank you and thank you for the we work you do love. you gotta keep doing it we love being at world of wonder yes big time and next time dave i have to see you yeah i know uh, Homophilia is a World of Wonder podcast produced and engineered by Renee Colbert. Our theme song is by Ben Wise. We want to thank Michael Pressman and everybody at World of Wonder. Please follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at HomophiliaPod. And if you would, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We sure would appreciate it. Wow Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race. And so much more. Subscribe to Wow Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV.